Welcome to the Home Hour. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Graham. We're two moms aspiring to create elegant spaces and gracious homes while dealing with real-life schedules, budgets, and children. Stick with us, and we'll share and show what we know, what we've learned, where we've messed up, and how to fix it. For everything we can't make up, we'll bring in the best experts we can find. It's dinner time today on The Home Hour. We're heading back to the kitchen and talking about real-life cooking for families with chef and author Katie Workman. We're talking about cooking shortcuts, strategies for dealing with picky eaters, and when it's okay to just call in for a pizza. Plus, our desert island fantasy foods, children who actually like salads, and why the fire department is always showing up for Katie's Thanksgiving dinner. All that and more on today's episode of The Home Hour. Welcome home. Welcome home, Kirsten. Welcome home, Graham. And welcome to the Home Hour, everyone. On today's show, we have Katie Workman, and she is an author, writer, but most importantly, she knows her way around the kitchen, and she has agreed to help us navigate the world of cooking for families and children and picky eaters and uh, holidays and all that kind of stuff. I know. I really liked her. I was... I was very surprised by how just uh, real she is, shall we say? I mean, that sounds so like she's real, but like really she was legit real. She was like, oh yeah, dinner didn't happen that night. Like she was, she made me feel good and she put everything in perspective and I liked her. I like anyone who helps us happily lower the bar. And like when you have an expert <laughs> that says, dial it down, ladies, like and because, you know, I think as moms, oftentimes we maybe fail a little bit, unfortunately, because we just think it has to be, you know, maybe our numbers are off. Maybe that's the problem. We're like, I've got to do dinner, you know, five nights a week or, or something. And and when you have a pro say, eh, if you do two, you're a rock star. You're like, yes. You know, it's when the doctor says, you know, you're actually doing much better than you think you are health wise. <laughs> like, why are you here? <laughs> she is that doctor. Everyone out there basically being like, give yourself a pat on the back, kiddos. Um, so, uh, well, it's also just I sort of also feel like there's this you know, hidden treasure that if I could only find it, then I would have the secrets to cooking perfect meals and to making my children healthy and to uh, and like having someone who like if she, if there was a secret, she would have found it. And it's like, nope, there's no secret. It's a hard, hard job. So um, all you moms out there who who enjoy cooking or at one point in your life enjoyed cooking and now hate cooking and loathe the experience. Um, <laughs> this is the episode for you because you got um, this. You're going to give yourself actually. We you got it. You got it. Kirsten, I got my right hand high up in the air. Here comes the left hand. High five. Yep. High five yourself. Just gave myself one. <laughs> that was so nerdy. It even looked nerdy. Um, sounded nerdy, but it's true. Okay. She makes you feel We're good. We're not as cool as Katie. Let's go to our interview with Katie because um, she really does have great information. And uh, I hope you find it as encouraging as we did. And thanks, y'all, for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, enjoy our great little chat with Katie Workman. Okay, we are here now with Katie Workman, chef, mom, blogger, author, solver of all kitchen dilemmas. She is the author of The Mom 100 Cookbook and Dinner Solved. And Katie, we are so excited to have you here to help us tackle our nightly problem of getting dinner on the table. Thanks for being on the Home Hour. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, let's set the stage a bit. So why we wanted you to come on the show, why we think this is important. So as we know, you're chef, mom, writer, and we struggle, our listeners, we believe struggle from what they write in, just the concept that 
we have to get dinner on the table or just food on the table day in and day out. And you've written the Mom 100 cookbook. You've written Dinner Solved. And really, it was to tackle the solutions to cooking for our children and our families every single day. And if it's okay with you, I was reading your book, um, The Mom 100. And I just wanted to read an excerpt from your introduction (laughs) because I really thought it not only was well written, but I think it kind of touched upon, you know, the way that maybe we feel on a day-to-day basis. Okay. And so it's one of the commonest denominators in the lives of all moms is the often anxiety inducing need to feed our families like every single day, really just completely non-negotiable. And I don't think you need to hear another diatribe about how we're not making enough time to be a family at the dinner table or how packaged foods and takeout are ruining our health and how hard you have to fight to keep your kids from turning into French fry munching, video game loving, sugar addicted zombies. You already know all that. You're sufficiently concerned. You're a good mom. Okay, we're all on the same page. But now what do we do? I loved it. It like just got to the nut of it. (laughs) <laughs> so funny. It's just been, a, it was, I wrote that a while ago. So it's, it's nice to hear it still holds up. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, true. That so is like, truth right there. <laughs> so why do meals, let's outline your book a little bit, but like why do meals matter today? And let's talk about this unavoidable world of three meals a day and why they're so stressful. Right. I know it's, it's true. Human beings do need to eat three times a day or, or more, especially, I mean, my God, we, could have a whole other show about kids and snacks, which is sort of a hot button. But um, yeah, it's 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 a reality. And then I what I always think to myself in my own life and say to people in my role as a a person who's you know tasked with making life easier in the kitchen is every day is really its own reality. So you know. What you can do on this Monday and what you could do last Wednesday and what you could do a week from Thursday are all going to be different because your day's going to be different and your mood's going to be different and your time's going to be different. And, um, you know, it, it's just really a matter of, you know, there are some days where you will have that beautiful roast chicken, a salad with a homemade vinaigrette and, you know, crispy oven roasted potatoes and everyone will be at the table at the same time. And that is a hopefully a wonderful, blissful moment. Although, frankly, I find that the days where all that happens is the days my boys decide to have some massive fight at the table. So, you know, I'm like, really? You know, this is, I I did all this and, and, you know, you know, you're throwing this and calling him a, I I can't say it. I can't say it what they would call each other on your show, but um, keeping it a clean rating. I know I'm keeping it family clean, man. I'm trying. (laughs) Um, but yes, I'm a blue mom for sure. Uh, but all of this is to say that, you know, one of a story I have told often, which is that I was actually on a, a radio show, a podcast um, several years ago, and I had gotten dinner partway made and we were going to a concert at the kids school and my day had kind of gotten away from me. And the the interview went long and it was a really enjoyable interview. And the host ended by saying to me, what what did you make for dinner? What are you making for dinner tonight? And I said, well, I have, you know, half seared chicken right now and I'm going to hang up with you and order a pizza because I don't have time to finish making dinner and I've got to get my kids to their concert. So, you know, it's just, I think, acknowledging the variables, acknowledging the different realities, acknowledging what we can and can't do on a given day, you know. And I will also say, People say to me, oh, do you cook every day or do you, do you make dinner for your family every day? And 
when I say yes, it's because it's my actual job. You know, if I was a nuclear physicist or even a you know cashier at a supermarket, I would not be making dinner for my family every single day because it would probably be too hard to be that organized and make make the time. But um, so, although if you were a cashier at a supermarket, I think you kind of have an advantage because, like, you're already at that's the true. Supermarket. That's true. I check out my own my own groceries, and at least that you would know be what's like, on sale. Right, I mean. one less stop on the way home. That's true. <laughs> Let's say a cashier at a or a bank teller, just <laughs> just <laughs> to be more more on 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 point with the with it. But yeah, so so I feel like you know I also really love the notion of, I mean, two big things I will say all the time is that prepping your week is just the biggest gift that you can give to yourself. If you take some time, whether it's on a weekday night or on a Sunday afternoon, you chop up some onions, you mince some garlic. You know, if you have a food processor, it's all the easier. Um, you know, juice a few lemons, maybe zest a lemon, maybe mince some fresh ginger, chop some parsley, whatever ingredients you know are going to call come into play over the ensuing days, get them ready. Because I think nothing is harder than coming home at five, six, six thirty and looking at a recipe and seeing the first thing is minced three cloves of garlic. Sometimes that's just enough to make you just feel so paralyzed. And then you reach for the chicken nuggets and you feel crappy and, or you pick up the phone and order takeout and you feel crappy. And it's not that you're not going to do that some nights, but if you can give yourself that little leg up, then dinner will get on the table more nights than, than otherwise. Yeah. Genius. I, Genius. I, I mean, I think that makes good sense. Okay, And also I, pick up a roast chicken and make a salad, right? Or roast yeah. a chicken and, um, you know, buy pre, pre-shredded lettuce in a bag or buy a vinaigrette or, you know, whatever. You don't have to make everything. People feel like, you know, it's sort of all or nothing. I get a lot of that. Um, you know, I sort of hear a lot of people saying like, oh, my God, I can't, you know, make a whole dinner every night and it takes so long. And I feel like there's you can do pieces of it. And if you can get something that you have had a hand in making on the table two or three nights a week, you are doing a bang up job and you should feel pretty fantastic. There we go. That counts. Man, what do we do before roast chicken? That's the question du jour. My son's nickname is Hannibal Lecter because when he was little, <laughs> like no joke, I could buy one of those chickens and he would eat the skin off the entire bird. Ew. I mean, <laughs> it was oh my God. disgusting. And literally, he could like skin a bird. I mean, it was that amazing. Is so funny. He cared less about any Every of the meat. Every vegetarian is tuning out I know. Out They're right like, now. Just, just, and I was like, I kind of wanted to just buy another bird just so I could have the skin too. He must have gotten that from his mama. That's so funny. Katie, you're really validating me right now because that's kind of been my my like secret I'm okay kind of meant like mentor yeah. metrics for me is like if I cook the main course and it's a Trader Joe frozen vegetable then Great. that's like a good meal or I you know I do I make my own salad or my my own roast vegetable or whatever and then it's a you know pre-packaged Costco meal so that's sort sure. of always been my like I'll go have these on a weeknight I mean I I, I have cooked but it's been a long time. Since I I've think going halfsies on a weeknight is a very, a very fine, like 
barometer or, you know, yardstick. I think that, you know, because if you don't let yourself do that, if you don't say, you know what, this is okay that I'm doing this, then your alternative is probably not going to be to cook an entire meal every night. And if it is, it will come at the cost of your sanity or time with your kids or maybe ever going to a gym in your entire life ever again. So the trade-off of that is not so great. And what will probably end up happening is if you don't say, halvesies is good enough, you will go you will go fully the other direction and just say, like, I just can't do it all, so I won't do any of it. And then it will just really become, you know... Nunsies. Hey, nunsies. <laughs> Havesies is better than nunsies. It's, I feel like, you know what, this is so funny. It's reminding me of, like, I never remember what the sides of the dreidel are, but they have names like that. And it sounds like we're, like, <laughs> playing dreidel and going, Havesies, onesies, nunsies. Like, <laughs> and like then I throw out my hands and say, I'm donezo. <laughs> Dunsies. I'm out of here. Oops, we just lost a clean reading. See how quickly these things go? We'll sing, um, that. We'll sing, that, one. We'll sing that one out. Um, okay, I know that you're the expert, but can I just interject here? Because this is incredibly please. important information that all people need to know. Game yes. changer. The chopped onions in the produce department at Trader Joe's that come in a bag. That yep. has been, when you talk about like the thing that makes you want to cry and just throw up your hands and give up, Chopping onions for me is yeah. that. And those that little bag of onion joy just changes the life. It's an amazing thing. And it's actually funny you said that makes you want to cry because also chopping onions actually does make you want to cry or make you cry. So like on two levels, you are saving yourself tears. And I mean, there are so many pre-cut vegetables in, um, you know, there's crappy pre-cut vegetables that look like they're been there for a while, but a lot of the really good supermarkets, the Trader Joe's and the Whole Foods, they've got really good fresh pre-prepped vegetables. And they also have really, well, some of them and some other, many other stores have great salad bars where you can, yes, for a few extra dollars, get broccoli florets and get this and get that. And also get a mixture because maybe you don't need a pound of broccoli florets. Maybe you want an assortment of different vegetables, go to, go to the salad bar. And, Whoa, and that is a hack extraordinaire. I've never thought about that in my life. Someone told me to do that actually before the Trader Joe's chopped onions. They're like, oh no, no, honey, you go to the salad bar at the grocery store in the deli section and you just fill up your giant salad thing with as many onions as you need for recipe and you'll save yourself so much time. So yeah, no, the, the grocery store salad bar, I mean, that is, that is so true. Yeah. And you're not wasting as much food, you know, and you're saying it's more expensive, but probably the amount of produce I dream that I will eat versus that's the amount of correct. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, it's true. Weight. I mean, that's also why these meal kits have gotten so popular because, you know, a lot of things are done for you or the portions are, or, you know, apportioned out properly. The waste, the, the guilt of throwing away, you know, mm-hmm. throwing away the, 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 you know, so, the soft, uh, zucchini and the, the mushrooms with a little mold on them. I mean, you know, so there's so many pieces of this, right? We want to save the world and not be wasteful. And um, the statistic that shocks most people is that 40% of food made or grown in this country is thrown away for zero. And, it's and like, like 30% of that is happening from like just my house alone. <laughs> Like I am, I am very. Well, that's, I, I think it's a tendency is that we all do start to feel that way. So, so, okay, let's layer on. Here's all the guilt points, right? Well, these aren't all the guilt points. Here's, here's half a dozen. The, you know, the waste of the world. Um, the, the fact that if we give our kids anything that's not organic, they're going to like all grow like breasts out of the back of their head and then die. <laughs> that would um, be amazing. You know, the, not the, the die part, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> the salt, right? Like the, the fat, the salt, um, the, the, um, 
the additives, the preservatives, uh, you know, too much meat, too, you know, too much, too many carbs. Mm -hmm. Um, Your kid isn't eating enough vegetables. Your kid isn't eating enough fish. Your kid will only eat four things. I mean, you, I could go on. You could probably each add six things from your own list. And it's, this is where we have to just like kind of smack it all away and just say, I am doing the best I can. And my kid is going to sometimes eat Fritos and I'm not going to read every single label on every single thing I buy. And I'm going to go have these most nights. And, um, you know, it's just, and and sometimes I'm going to buy the the cheaper thing, even if it's not the organic thing, because it's just, you know, my budget doesn't stretch that far. We just have to give ourselves the break to know that anything that we are doing to try to feed our kids actual food that is made with whole ingredients and not comprised mostly of packaged food is a step in a great direction and, um, and not, and not measure ourselves against some sort of crazy nutritionist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, environmentalist so measuring stick. That's just impossible to live up to. Totally. Well, Another thing I loved about your cookbook was kind of making a meal for the whole family, right? And I think it was so neat about, or one of the the Mom 100 cookbook I'm referencing specifically, I loved the fork in the road portion. Because, and I just, to, do you want to kind of elaborate on what that is or what that concept is? Because I just thought that was really genius, you know, how you can cook for kids and adults. Sure. It's a lot of times, um, many, many parents will say, um, I feel like a short order cook because I have to make one thing for this kid and one thing for that kid. And my husband doesn't like this or somebody's a vegetarian. I end up making a bunch of different dishes or I end up making something that, you know, the adults will eat, but the kids won't. So I end up serving them chicken nuggets and I feel very badly about that or macaroni and cheese from a box every night. And again, nothing wrong with macaroni and cheese from a box or chicken nuggets, but you don't want to be doing that every night. And it's just Mm -hmm. not a great way to raise somebody who's going to learn how to embrace food and, you know, enjoy it and be an experimental eater. So a lot of the recipes in the Mom 100 cookbook and all of the recipes in Dinner Solved have an element called fork in the road, which means that you can make a recipe part way and then it divides and either some of it stays simpler while other, you know, the other half of it gets more complex so that people who want something, you know, a cleaner, easier thing, maybe an enchilada that just has simple filling and cheese and somebody else is getting something that has like another layer of spice and like an avocado cream on top of it. So you have a lot of ways to morph it. Vegetarians can get a, like a chicken tiki masala recipe um, you can make the sauce and add chicken to half of the sauce and add cauliflower to the other half of the sauce. So a vegetarian at the table, you're all essentially having tiki masala for dinner. So you're sharing a meal and it's not a lot of burden on the cook. But if somebody is just not going to eat something because it's too spicy or, too, or you know has meat in it, then you're sort of defeating the purpose of trying to push the envelope a little bit on the kinds of food you're making. So the idea is... You know, again, a salmon can be made, you can serve the sauce on the side. So everybody gets a piece of salmon and those who want to put chimichurri sauce on their salmon can do it. And those who want to take a little dab on the side of their plate and try it. And those who want to skip it can skip it. And that's how like my kids started eating things. Because if I served a piece of salmon with a big, you know, a big, uh, nap of chimichurri sauce drenching it they would have turned off by that but 
if, if when I put the chimichurri sauce on a little bowl on the table and said, hey, put a little bit on your plate and just dip a bite in and see if you like it. And then try your hardest to sort of look away, have normal conversation, not sit there going, you're not trying it. You're not trying it. Do you like it? Well, just try it. Just try a little bit. You'll like it. You know, that's the other part. We all just tend to sort of put a little bit too much effort and energy into trying to get our kids to eat new things. And what do they do? They resist it. So anyway, that's, that's the fork of the road, that idea that, that a, a recipe can be made with variations so that everybody gets what they want. But the opportunity for kids to keep advancing the kinds of foods they'll try is always at the table. Well, and I, I love loved that. yeah your idea about small serving sizes too. Mm-hmm. That was great about like putting things in a tiny ramekin. Um, that was a great idea because I think like me, I'm like here, this is the corn chowder. It's in a big chowder bowl. Here you go. Like slop it down, <laughs> try right. it. It's new, right? And just well, like a one spoonful bite for a taste, and just very nonchalant. Like hey, what's up? I made this. Try it. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. If you want yeah, more, no, it's, it's on the stove. <laughs> It's so simple. It is, it is seriously such a simple concept, but it is so genius. And I, I seriously feel like I, it took me years to figure that out. Like if, if I if only I met you like eight years ago. <laughs> but um, but no, tr- like it's like the deconstructing, you know, like a deconstructed dinner. Basically, I just I just pull theirs out at step eight. And I do like the adult steps at step two. And you're right. What is it about like offering a sauce they can dip that just... They're right. Okay with that. They will try that. But yeah, God yeah. forbid I put a you sauce on. You put the on sauce the on. And like who wants to eat like a plain baked chicken breast? Like I will tell you who, my three children, you know? They, <laughs> they... <laughs> but eventually, I mean like really I've seen it with my own kids, you know, the little bit of sauce or whatever is on the side and they dip once, they dip twice and then they actually don't want to let you see that they like it. So, you know, you <laughs> sort of, totally. you know, I mean, because like, it's, it's, it, it is a little bit of a power play and kids don't have that much control over things, right? We, you know, especially when they're little, you say get up and you go to school and get in the car and we're doing this and we're doing that. And, um, you know, at dinner you put down whatever you've made and if they have a little bit of choice that doesn't, not the kind of choice that makes you have to go back and make another dish or that makes you, you know, feel like you're really catering to them, but a little bit of choice of how much sauce to put on or what, you know, how much, how much to help themselves to the sugar snap peas, then they, they have more ownership and they just, they always become more invested and more eager to try things when it's their choice. Okay. Let's, okay. while we're talking about kids, can we talk about the, what kids can do section of your book? Um, sure. I just love to hear how you you have a your thoughts on having kids engaged in the kitchen because like sometimes that's not fun. No, sometimes it's totally not fun. It's absolutely not something that I and I know lots of other food writers who just are like, "Ugh, I never want my kids in the kitchen. What a pain in the butt." But um, somewhere along the way, it's a good idea for us to get our kids comfortable in the kitchen and to have a few skills that, you know, they will add to as they grow up because at some point um, you know, at some point, it's hard to imagine, especially when the kids are little, but they'll need to know how to cook for themselves. And even if they're going away to school, they'll need how to, you know, that, that it'll come along sooner rather than later. And so, um, each recipe has some advice about how your kids can help. Obviously, you know, your kid the best when they're ready to handle a sharp knife or be near the stove and, you know, the idea of what kids can do, of course, at very different ages. I mean, I write about that on my blog as well, just sort of general things that you can have your kids do in general age ranges, understanding that kids can vary pretty widely. Um, but it's just 
I mean, and, and I will confess, I have not done as good a job as as you would think, given that I'm babbling about it all the time, because <laughs> I mean, I just I'm always cooking and it's sort of, you know, and because it's my job, it's not it's not something that I've ever had to say to my kids, you know, who are teenagers now, like, hey, guys, I'm leaving you some ingredients and a recipe. You should. It's your turn, you know, go for it or, you know, or can you mince this and prep this or do whatever? I rarely do that because I'm always cooking, but um, they both know how to make a really good vinaigrette. They both know how to make a good salad dressing, although they usually get lazy and end up with oil and vinegar, but that's also fine. It's really just fine. And um, I'm trying to think. They, they Your teenagers have already surpassed me. I still yeah, vinaigrette. <laughs> that must mean they're eating salad. Like, what's they, going down? It's actually kind of funny. that They do really like salad. And most people are, like, probably turning off this podcast now. Like, oh, God, who wants to hear about that food writer's kids who eat salad? Right, but, you're the, you're um, that lady. I'm that lady. But <laughs> but I'm not bragging about it. And um, there's plenty of other things they, you know, do and don't like. And... Um, and they don't like all salads, but they like a lot of salads. And I, and I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost a quirky thing, the, their weird little connection with salads, especially the older one. The older one actually will make himself a salad when he gets home from school, which I find just so odd and, and wonderful. But, um, but they also, you know, they have this predisposition to imagine that they hate Brussels sprouts because every, every right. time Brussels sprouts are mentioned in the media or in, a, in writing, it's always like, this should try to get your kids to eat this Brussels sprout. And they've definitely taken it to heart that, that kids are not supposed to eat Brussels sprouts or not supposed to like them. So I, I keep Very saying, true. well, you know, why... Like, you don't believe half the crap I tell you. Why do you believe this? You know, <laughs> just try it. That's so funny. Well, but like, I also think it's, this is more of a personal anecdote, but um, my husband was telling me something like people who have a name that rhymes with a profession are off, are more like likely to go into the profession. So for example, oh, really? Like, well, yeah, if, uh, statistically. So like, if your name is Bernie, it's more likely you will be an attorney. Um, no. But, <laughs> but anyway, my son's nickname is Bean. This is where I'm going with this. And like his, we call him bean like I just just bean he's always bean we don't even call him by his name and he loves beans like loves them. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so loves funny them. he's like he's, so you you're know, saying just, I should have named my children Brussels sprout yeah or Brussels or sprout or whatever scout you know yeah. scout's a cool name scout the sprout eater so, yeah so it really there is something to it because I'm like my god are you really going to eat that bean like this type of bean this is very exotic and he does he likes them all lentils like nothing's off the limit so what are, what else do your your children eat that's kind of surprising Katie anything salad oh it's or? so obnoxious to talk about that I hate when people like are at the you know and 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 doing what I do, I also do get that per- people come up to me and they're like, "My little Billy loves sea urchin. He just can't get enough." And I'm like, "That's good for Billy. Good for you." Um, I mean, I you know they uh, I don't I don't know that there's anything. I mean, I would say that their consumption of salad is is a, their most sort of notable thing, and um, and I don't know what else do they eat that's weird. They. I have to think on that. I'll have to get back to you if something else pops You're, into yeah, my head. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is something, and we have a lot of moms of young children who listen to this, and I remember this being a very big stressor for me when I was a new mom, was dealing with the pickiness 
in my children and eating. Mm-hmm. And it's, because it's basically the best analogy I could do is like, it's like every day you're asked to bake a wedding cake and then you make a cake <laughs> and then the child like takes your wedding cake and throws it on the floor and <laughs> smashes it. But then the ultimate disgrace, you are forced to clean that wedding cake oh, up yeah. off the floor. Oh, so it's funny. like triple slap in the face. And right, it stressed right. me out. And I didn't know like how to get food in my child. And, you know, he wasn't even like high on that weight growth chart. And that oh, was yeah. stressful. Yep. So from you do have kind of the, you know, you have the background to be able to speak cogently on this from a developmental standpoint, kind of like chart it out. Because I think it could be very reassuring to moms who are dealing with young children um, and kind of the arc of eating. Well, the main point that I would make in response to that is that there is no smooth arc. And that sort of idea that you would be looking at a graph and it would start low and then sort of steadily swoop upwards as the years went on, like that is very rare in my experience. And going back to what we were talking about before, the mom who is bragging about her three-year-old eating oysters often has to swallow her pride when they are five and not eating anything at that point because it just, it ebbs and it flows. And the biggest thing that, and the hardest thing to do is to try to not get too controlly over it. And it is so hard when your kid is at the dinner table and you feel like they haven't like put enough nutrition in their body all week and you are sitting there saying, you know, please just eat a bite of peas. Like, or you can't leave this table till you've had, you know, five pieces of broccoli or like, you know, whatever it is that you are imploring them to do and they're digging in their heels and the food's getting grosser and grosser and you're, you're at your wits end. It's so hard to just sort of turn around and shrug and say, well, you know, then that that's for dinner. And if you, if you, if you don't want to eat it now, fine. And you can have an apple later, but those, those will be your choices for the evening. And I, I do not presume to say that there's one right way to do things and, and other ways are wrong. Um, I do think that probably a lot of people who are parents now grew up with the, you're not leaving this table till every lima bean is eaten off your plate. And I don't think that really engaged any of us in the love of lima beans. And I think that we all, you know, we all have very, negative memories of those kinds of things. And you don't want your kids to start to form negative memories around the dining table and around food. And so trying the best you can to not make it a daily power struggle. Um, the one bite rule is something a lot of people do that some people call it the, um, you know, uh, no, thank you. Like take, you can take one bite and then say, no, thank you. I mean, all of those things I think are, are viable and reasonable ways to approach it. I, I'm not a big fan of the, you're not leaving the table until you eat every last blank, blank, blank. I don't, I don't think that's a great idea. Um, I do also, I did not ever have that concern. I mean, I actually had kids who were small for a while, but I, I wouldn't have said it was, I wouldn't, I wasn't worried that it was because they were not eating. I think when you do have kids who are low on the growth chart and you don't feel like they're getting good nutrition. That is very stressful. And of course you should talk to your pediatrician about that as much as you know, as you can. Um, but uh, some of the tips that we were touching on before small portions, putting big portions in front of a kid, especially a kid who's picky is really off putting trying to find ways to take foods they like and sort of add on new flavors to that. If your kid loves rice, then, you know, make rice with little bits of chicken in it or rice with some, you know, cubes of cooked carrot in it, you know, try to add on to something that you know that they'll embrace. And 
yeah, the first time you serve it, they're going to be like, what did you do to my rice? And you're going to say, we're trying it with carrots tonight. And they may pick around the carrots the first couple times. Um, there is a statistic uh, uh, that has been substantiated by a lot of people who study this and know a lot more about it than I do, which is that um, kids on average take, it takes 10 times to make them embrace a food that they're not, that they are not already predisposed to like. So you serve broccoli and they say, ew, I don't like it. And then the second time you serve it and you say, ew, I don't like it. And the third time you get in a fight about it. And it's very easy at that point to say like, well, screw it. I'm not serving any more broccoli. I'll move on. But you shouldn't probably do it the next day and the next day, but you should not give up on it because it is literally, it is a documented fact that 10 times is, is one is what many kids take to turn on to a new food. And that takes a huge amount of t patience and, uh, <laughs> wine <laughs> on the part of the parents. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so it's, it, it's a long game. You have to remember that it's a, it's a long game and, um, very, very, very few kids in, especially in this country, especially if you are a person of, you know, somewhat some means so that you can afford good food, very few kids become malnourished or starve or really, you know, get their growth affected. Um, and it just ends up becoming a power struggle. Oh, Katie, it totally <coughs> does. Okay. I, I don't want to leave this topic yet because I have like literally the world's most picky eater. He did not eat solid food till he was two and a half. That's Ugh. how picky he was. He just drank chocolate milkshakes, which uh. I mean, I may have had a little bit of a problem in that I switched pediatricians after the after the pediatrician who told me just three chocolate milkshakes a day was going to be great I basically um, had a child on system for like right 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 yeah. but um but uh so we so the power struggle thing I love that um I have gotten into a habit now and now this has been the years and years of using dessert as like that if you eat it, you can have dessert. See, like, yep. so many vegetables gone. Now I have a family that's like, where's our dessert? They actually asked for dessert after breakfast this morning. I'm like, that's not how this works. But so it's pretty funny. What's the deal with dessert? Have I completely ruined my life? Have like, what have I done and how do I undo it? Um, it, 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 it does because it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. And, um, my, my sister is also was a dessert, you know, if you eat this, you get dessert thing and dessert has become, you know, absolutely mandatory seven days a week. And, and it has, yes, edged into meals other than dinner. Um, I think that, you know, hopefully you're, you're exercising some sort of portion control, you know, and not just oh, putting definitely. out the big quart of ice cream. So I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's all fine. And if your kids are small and need extra nutrients, then I don't really think it's a bad thing. I mean, ice cream, probably better than like a bag of Skittles, right? You don't want to be like just shoveling in the sugar. And um, I actually just read an article for Tasting Table, um, three ways to make fruit seem like dessert. Um, and one of them is like, uh, you know, dipping, dipping, uh, strawberries into like slightly sweetened Greek yogurt and mm. also putting fruit on a stick and making fruit kebabs. So there's some ideas there, but, um, I think that I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with it. I think though that dessert probably has to start to get more broadly defined as, you know, fruit can be thought of dessert sometimes. And, you know, it's not always like three cook three Oreos or something. 
Right. My grandma used to have baked apples all the time, and I love that. Like, that was a staple. She always had, like, little tins. What happened like, to baked apples, man? Nobody. baked apples last night. What's like, going that on? That was, like, it's our fall, childhood fall dessert. You got, like, and she put them, you know, those, like, those, what are they? Um, I should know my, not a pint, a quart. She put them in those little quart-sized plastic things, and she'd have, like, eight of them in her fridge, and she'd just pull one out and heat it up, and that oh, was it. You so had your baked yum. apple with the raisins, and, you know, you could put ice cream, whipped cream, whatever. It was, like, a I don't think dessert. I can sell a baked apple to my kids at this point. I really don't. But ironically, but you know, other things like I've been in an apple crisp mode. I made like three this week and I, um, I, I had, I've been, sometimes I do like a huge thick topping, right? Where like this, the apples are basically a mere excuse for a streusel to exist in the world. But other times I do a more restrained, um, you know, it's topping and, and it's, it's much more about the apples and, um, you know, there's a little bit of crisp on top of it. And so I feel like maybe playing with the balance of certain things like that. Unfortunately though, as I say this, I realize that my family like doesn't think that apple crisp has any reason to exist other than as a base for a scoop of vanilla ice cream. So, um, you know, talking out of both sides of my mouth, what can I, I tell like, you? I like it. That's You're getting so food real. dinner on the table. So speaking, so more kind of thoughts on kind of food shopping or meal planning, people seem to really love the idea of that organization. I know you touched upon it at the beginning, but you know, planning, planning, planning for the week. And we did a meal planning episode and it was um, very well received. And so if you have any hit tips you can give us, we would certainly welcome them. That is definitely the thing that I feel like stops more people than anything else. It's not the lack of desire to cook. It's not, um, it's not the lack of ability to cook. It's the planning and it's the finding yourself, you know, trying to scramble and figure out what to do at the last minute. That's really, um, that just makes things way too hard. So, um, I actually started, so on the mom 100 blog, I have a newsletter that's uh, a weekly, now a weekly newsletter. And every other week I do a meal plan with, you know, plot, plot out a week's worth of meals. Um, I think that if you can try, it's a, it's a habit that you kind of have to get yourself into. If, if it is a helpful thing for you, you have to say to yourself on Sunday morning, I am going to take one hour. I'm going to pull out three cookbooks or a few magazines or go to a website that I really, you know, like and trust. And I am just going to plan out again. It doesn't have to be five meals. You're, you know, it might be Monday I know is a really busy night. So I am going to end up picking up, you know, picking up some pizzas Tuesday. It's going to, you know, I'm going to make hamburgers, you know, Wednesday is, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be near this fish market. I really like, so I'm going to do a, a fish dish and Thursday is, you know, hope, you know, Thursday, maybe you're pulling something out of the freezer that a lovely past you made for your future self. I mean, that's the other thing, too. I love too. when past me makes food for I know. I love past. And past me, when I open the fridge, freezer, and see good things in there, I love past me. And when my freezer is <laughs> running low, I think past me has been lazy and selfish. <laughs> oh, past me cooking from future me is my fave. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your... Oh, by the way, we should point out that... Um, that Katie is in New York City, right? Aren't you? You're in Manhattan. I am. Okay, I love the fun background city noise. So just, I've heard a couple honks and a couple. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> what is your favorite comfort food? We just we're feeling fall. We're feeling cozy. What's what? We're feeling like a comfort food. Pretty much every night, I'd say literally five nights a week, I make an enormous pot of stovetop popcorn, and I share it with my family, but I probably eat more than half of it. And I just, it, it just is, is 
such as like I crawling into bed with a book and or you know finally sitting down to like watch something dumb on TV sometimes with a bowl of of stovetop popcorn is to me it's just a, a simple wonderful luxury that I'm, I can't That's imagine like a ever blast from the past I yeah, wait, love actually that. I'm sorry to ask a clarifying question but what is what is wait, how do you not know? I make it on I mean, the I stove I think I know, but pot. I want to know how she makes it. I bet she makes I put it a little it. bit of oil in a very, very, very large pot, and I mm-hmm. pour in popcorn kernels to basically cover the bottom. And in five minutes, I have a vat-sized bowl of popcorn. And, um, We've yeah, got to do so, that. Because you're right. And, a little, and a little salt. And I, you don't need butter because there's a little bit of oil in it. But... It's not that much oil. You're really not using that much oil. I mean, you could use a lot of oil, but I don't. Um, but I don't feel like it needs extra butter. And that is just—it's it's really a nightly routine. Yeah, I love that. And just because I kind of want to know you better, what what are you reading and what are you watching on Netflix? Um, <laughs> While you're, because I want to envision this. I just—we just watched. Um, we just watched *This Is Us* last night. I'm behind on the new series, but we just—we did watch that last night. And the book I'm reading has a really weird title. It's called called the Department of Speculation. And um, it's so cool and it's really, really odd. And it's just like these, these sort of like, it's almost like these like thought clouds that this person has, but they're all connected. I mean, it, it actually is telling an actual story of a, a couple and a woman falling in love. And, but, but it just, it is, it's really weirdly written. So it's, it's very refreshing. Okay, I just needed the full picture for the popcorn. Okay, after comfort food, yes. what is the best family dinner? Like, what is your, I have given, I have received an A++ on this meal. I am the perfect mother. It's it's tacos. Uh, my family yes. loves tacos, and it's old school. It's ground dark meat turkey with a blend that I make, and it's hard, hard shell hard shell taco shells and sometimes soft shell, but, um, always hard as well. And, um, you know, cheese and salsa and lettuce and sour cream. And that is my boy's favorite meal and has been for pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, and just, you know, if I ask them at any point what they would like for dinner, like, what do you guys think I should make when people are coming over? What do you want when you, you know, for your birthday, it's always tacos. Sometimes for Charlie, it can be black beans and rice. Whenever, when he comes home from camp, bizarrely in the heat of the summer he wants black beans and rice and chocolate pudding that's his come home from camp meal um, <laughs> that's great I knew I would I like just, you. you know tacos are my desert island food oh like, really and like, oh. Hand, and like Wait, yeah here's a question those. though what do you serve with tacos because I always feel like there's a little bit of shredded lettuce on the taco but that's yes. not really a vegetable I make a, a, a salad a salad a big salad we okay. serve a salad with dinner every single night no matter how many vegetables might be on the table um, and you also have to imagine that my kids eat like a lot of really weird meals, right? When they come home and I've been testing, it's like, oh, what's for dinner? It's like they eat weird combinations of food and they don't think that, I mean, they understand that it's not the norm, but it's also, it's also just, you know, they are very eating. I'm in the biz, but, but, um, but tacos are like, that is sort of the family comfort food. Um, my desert Island foods, however, are, um, sushi, which I would eat every single day if I could. Um, sushi, popcorn, salad, French fries, white Bordeaux and, uh, diet Coke. I will move to your desert island. Wait, I will will want to come. Will there be be a Keurig? That's the only thing you've missed. Yes, there will be a Keurig. Then I'm there. Absolutely. I will okay. be there. I will, I, I'll no, be in I like charge a good of bringing the Diet Coke and the K-Cups. One last question, because we cannot let her go without asking her about Thanksgiving. 
That's true. Oh, <laughs> November. Yeah. time. Yes. It's coming up. Yeah. Is we the can't question have just someone in like general. you on the, on the show and not ask them, like, how do we do this? It's so done. This is, um, this is the, the Olympics of cooking. I have a number of things I've written about Thanksgiving on the mom100.com, which you can read for your amusement at a later time. One of them is how the Thanksgiving timeline works for reals in our house, you know, as opposed to all those timelines that ever, you know, like, at, you know, at the three o'clock, you know, rub the turkey with the brine, you know, like, and it's just basically, it's, it's a reality. It's the reality of how it actually works in our family. Um, it is always a little bit of a, um, so my mom, my sister and I cook every year and it's always at my mom's house. And, um, I'm, I'm in charge of amongst other things, the pies are mine. And one of the things I do every year is make, um, I make, well, every year there's an apple streusel pie that's in the mom 100 cookbook and it's an absolutely delicious pie. And you know, I've made it for years. Wouldn't be Thanksgiving without it. And I always make three cause my in-laws are staying with me and I always made them at my mom's and every year my mom goes three, that seems excessive. And I say, well, yes, but I'm gonna, we probably won't eat the third, but I'm going to take it home because we also would like to have some pie, um, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend with all the in-laws staying with us. And every year she comments on it and every year I explain it. And then also in the book and the recipe, I say, you should bake this with a baking sheet below it because the streusel and the custardy filling will tend to bubble over the side and um, cause your oven to smoke. And I've written this and I advise people on it. And then every year I forget to do it myself. And twice the fire department has come to my mother's house because we didn't get to like call and cancel the fire alarm fast enough. So we've had firemen at our Thanksgiving for for at least two years that I can remember. And then, and now it's become a very enjoyable story for my mother to tell everybody um, over and over again. So that's a little glimpse into the Workman family Thanksgiving. I love, I love it. And that's like for me by the second pack of marshmallows because the first one always goes up in flames. On that note, oh, Katie yes. Workman. Oh my God. <laughs> nonstop. How do we find you um, online and just want to thank you again for your time and talent and expertise and for sharing with us today. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's very fun to talk to you guys. Um, so my website is the mom100.com and, um, my emails there and, uh, that's the best way to find me. And then, you know, I'm, I'm usually, you know, I, I write for lots of different publications and, you know, I do lots of different things. So hopefully I'll pop up in people's worlds in, in different ways, but that's how the most direct way to find me. Well, well food awesome. is I've happy. Had a lot of fun, a lot of fun perusing your blog, preparing for this interview. It is, it is just your writing is so fun and so real, and you just give us a lot of freedom, but also a lot of great advice. So thank you, Katie, for being on the Home Hour, and thank you everyone else for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed this show, could you go ahead and give us a review on iTunes? We would really appreciate that, and um, we hope you guys have a wonderful week and happy cooking. 